one of the most influential and, and long-lasting uh, ideas that undergirds slavery was this idea of environmental determinism, uh, sometimes called climate determinism. They're, they're really largely interchangeable, uh, although environmental encompasses other things such as food eaten and the like. Now, where this stems from uh, really is way back again into the ancient world, uh, which we can see it from Greek and, uh, and also from uh, Muslim philosophers uh, and scientists at the time. Hippocrates, of course, the father of modern medicine, uh, one of the very, f very first medical textbooks ever authored was obviously by him. And he devoted a great portion of time uh, to the effects of environment uh, on the, not just the physical appearance, but the common ailments, and also the personality traits and intellectual capabilities of certain populations. And he was so sure, actually, of how accurately one could determine these things simply through geography uh, that he references specifically in that book that one need not concern themselves with the accuracy. You, you can simply... Uh, just go forward with these assumptions and just know for sure that they will be correct based on the food, climate, air, water, and that kind of uh, kind of environmental uh, factors at play here. So how that applies to slavery uh, is that there was a, a, well, a global understanding that warmer climates actually predisposed populations to laziness. And a lot of this was stemmed from the idea uh, like especially in Africa, that food was so available and plentiful that there was less biological imperative to go out and acquire it. There was less hunting involved. There was less effort involved with, uh, with gathering. And, of course, it's very hot. And so in some of these desert climates, it was uh, beneficial to move less. Uh, and it was these same arguments, of course, that later became one of the uh, undergirding principles along with malarial resistance. Uh, that supported the use of African slaves in southern states, Caribbean, West Indies, uh, and even plantations along the coast in Africa. It was like, well, don't worry about it because, you know, blacks are resistant to heat. I mean, they're from Africa. Uh, so <clears throat> where it gets particularly interesting, though, is where this is applied to personality and to intellectual characteristics. Now, this is just one of... Uh, of a series, a battery, if you will, of different kind of pseudoscientific theories and even disciplines that emerged uh, that were used principally to justify slavery. You had craniometry, physiognomy, phrenology, uh, early forms of physical anthropology, and all of these uh, sciences, you know, using imaginary quotes, uh, they inevitably found, of course, that uh, blacks were... Uh, inferior intellectually uh, than uh, Europeans, Anglo-Saxons, or what have you, white people. Although not all whites. Um, the Irish Iberian, of course, was categorized at or oftentimes below the cognitive levels of uh, Africans, owing to no small part then to uh, the anti-Irish prejudices uh, throughout the 20th century. But uh, environment... Uh, came to be used as well as a tool. Oh, well, you know, blacks are naturally lazy because of their uh, home country. And so slavery was a requirement in order to, for them to be industrious. And 
this is just another instance of falsely of trying to find answers to questions they don't know how to ask. So what we would understand as being a consequence of uh, intergenerational social conditioning, uh, that this institution of slavery itself is a depressing institution, that it disincentivizes hard work uh, because you don't get to enjoy any rewards for it. So there's no incentive. You, If anything, it disincentivizes doing as little as possible uh, in order to avoid uh, notice, you know, essentially. But of course, at the time, they, they didn't really understand this concept. So it was, oh, well, it must be because uh, they're from a hot climate. Uh, you know, the air is different there. Or it was also used to explain uh, physiological differences. You know, there were theories at the time that blacks excreted uh, different oils in their skin. Uh, there was there were theories that their blood was different, uh, and all of these were attributed as adaptations to their environment. So it was used to justify slavery. It's used to also even used to justify uh, segregation later on. But what's particularly interesting about, about environmental determinism is that it never died. Uh, one would think that you know throughout since its primary function and through about most of American history was to justify slavery, that the eventual abolition of slavery uh, would have done away with the theory. Uh, but actually, it emerged again uh, in reverse. Uh, during the 1970s especially, uh, you had the Crest Theory, and this was a series of uh, reverse racism, where uh, it was similar, let's say, to the Iceman Theory and others, that posited that White people were aggressive uh, because of uh, experiences during the Ice Age. Uh, so because, I guess, uh, white so-called races uh, had to be very aggressive in the acclimation and acquisition of food and resources, that, that somehow wired us to be aggressive later on. Uh, so you essentially have a resurrection of an ancient pseudoscience. And just like it was used uh, early in, in the life of the country, it's, it's, it was used to uh, kind of racially profile entire groups of people. Uh, so it's interesting to note that, that this theory never died. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things that I think makes it so persistent is that there are elements of truth to it uh, and that certain adaptations are made in behavior. Uh, in response to our environment. But these are cultural and social uh, factors. These are not anything to do with race, of course, which, kind of like environmental determinism, uh, you, would, you would hope that the advent of science would destroy these things, and instead, uh, like back then, uh, it was uh, kind of landscaped in just such a way that it fits a preformed thesis and a preformed agenda. So environmental determinism still, usually alongside uh, the Aristotelian concepts of natural slavery, became one of the, un one of the primary arguments presented uh, by, by pro-slavery activists, especially in the South. Uh, you figure, you know, the, one of the, the unique climate to the South, you know, is your subtropical kind of swamp, would be, if one ascribed to environmental determinism, the ideal environment uh, for blacks. Uh, most closely approximating their uh, their natural environment, if you will. Um, 
So alongside uh, other components, of course, uh, you have environmental determinism, uh, the racism that just seems to never die, uh, modified as it is instead to apply, uh, well, really kind of total reverse as a form of anti-white uh, racial prejudice and uh, stereotypes. Uh, but one can always hope, of course, that it will fade away eventually. But in the context of ancient, uh, ancient history and colonial history, and really up until uh, roughly the Reconstruction era, at least the 20th century, environmental determinism was still a uh, driving force into the arguments and policies adopted uh, at the time. <laughs>